Well, good morning, folks. It's just lovely to be with you. This is the first time that I've been able to get to church uh, in quite a number of months and almost the same, I guess, for you, though I have the bizarre experience this morning of preaching in two churches at the same time, uh, courtesy of technology, which is, which is wonderful. It's a strange time that we're living in, isn't it? But I'm so pleased to be with you this morning, and I, I hope that you're able to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read a lovely account, verses 46 to 52, that's Mark chapter 10, and it's a passage that you're, I'm sure very, you're very familiar with, blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. So let me read that. Let's read it together. Verse 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then he rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What a lovely, simple passage of scripture to read. We're going to look at it, but let's pray first. Father, we thank you very much that you have given us your word and you've sent your Holy Spirit to give us insight and understanding. And Lord, we've come this morning and we're so thrilled to be able to be uh, together, whether it's on Zoom or in the building. We just want to worship you and to praise you for all your kindness. And we would ask, Father, that as we look at this passage, that your Holy Spirit might shine some light on it, that we might discover something in it, perhaps that we've never seen before, and that your Holy Spirit would take that truth, apply it to our hearts in such a way that there would be a response within us that would really please you and bring a smile of pleasure to your face. So we pray for every head that's bowed in your presence just now and ask that together we might sense and know your spirits working among us. We ask these things as we commit one another to you in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, looking around this morning, I suspect that you're probably leading busy lives. I'm retired, but I find that I'm busy. I don't seem to have an awful lot of time. And as a result, I, is this thing on? Ah, that's it. As a result, I get involved in speed reading. I, I, I find myself speed reading books and emails and texts, which isn't a good thing because I sometimes, I overlook detail 
that, that I miss. Just recently, I, I was invited to do something, but I took note of that fact, but not of the date. So I was running around trying to do something about four weeks earlier than I should have done. There you go. Speed reading. It, we're in a hurry. Most of us are in a hurry. And I'm reminded of a poem that I loved uh, and learned when I was young called Leisure by a guy called uh, William Davis. He says, what is this life if full of care? We have no time to stand and stare. No time to stand beneath the boughs and stare as long as sheep and cows. No time to see when woods we pass where squirrels hide their nuts in grass. And it's, it's, it's pretty good, isn't it? We don't have time, but it's really good to take time and especially good to take time when it comes to looking at God's word together. Now, the healing of this man, blind Bartimaeus, is recorded in three of the four Gospels. So it's recorded in Matthew, it's recorded in Mark chapter 10, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 18. Now, you know, because you've been around the block once or twice, that when you're looking at a passage of Scripture, and if there's a if it's something that's recorded elsewhere, it's a really good thing to read the accounts together because they give you kind of a fuller picture of what's going on. So let's just look at a, a verse that we read together, which is Mark ten forty six. Look at it carefully and take note of the detail. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And then look at Luke's gospel, verse 35, chapter 18. As they approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, as you look at that, those two verses, can you see a puzzle there? Is there something that puzzles you? Because there's something that puzzles me. Jesus came to Jericho and uh, then he was leaving the city he came across blind Bartimaeus. But in Luke's gospel, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, he met blind Bartimaeus. Now, what's going on here? Is there, is there a puzzle here? You see, I, I'd love to, to look at the scriptures and just to look at the detail. It's very interesting. We know that Jericho was about 18 miles away, uh, northeast of Jerusalem. But what you might not know is there are actually two places called Jericho. There was the old city, which is today ruined, and then there was a slightly more modern city. And in Jesus' day, there were the two. You may remember that um, Herod the Great and his successors built a lavish winter uh, palace at, at Jericho. And actually, if you go right back into the Old Testament and remember the destruction of Jericho, Am I right in thinking that it wasn't going to be rebuilt? So there were the two Jerichos, close to the other. Well, that's just by way of interest. What is important, that this was the very last time that Jesus went through Jericho. He never got that way again, the last time. And that's important uh, to, to remember that. And as Jesus came into Jericho, he was accompanied, it says, by a large crowd. So. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And I think there were many people who'd heard about Jesus, heard about the stuff that he was doing. And the crowds came out because they wanted to see him. 
Zacchaeus was one of that one of that crowd, that little man who climbed up the sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. There were so many people there being short he couldn't see. So he climbed up the tree in order to see Jesus. Well, for our Lord, the end of his earthly road was in sight, heading for Jerusalem for the very last time. And this large crowd were just wanting to see what he was going to say and do. Now, interestingly, this is the last healing miracle recorded in Mark's gospel before Jesus arrives at Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 20, the account of the healing of blind Bartimaeus, we actually read that there were two beggars. But Mark and Luke only tell us about Bartimaeus, and I think they only tell us about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, because he was the more vocal of the two. The other beggar isn't recorded as talking at all. So let's look at Bartimaeus and think about what we learn. Now, I imagine that for Bartimaeus, the day started just the same as any other day. I don't imagine he had anywhere plush to sleep. I don't imagine he had a very comfortable home. I I imagine he just slept where he could. And maybe he had been able to beg some food as he slowly made his way to his pitch, the place where he sat day after day begging. Uh, That's how he lived. He lived very much hand to mouth. Life was very difficult for him. But as he was, as he reached his pitch, his place where he begged, I uh, imagine He heard the sound of the town coming to life. Farmers perhaps coming in to sell their wares at the market. Uh, Women maybe wandering past, going to the well to get get water. And uh, perhaps uh, pilgrims passing too. It was business as usual. Well, Bartimaeus must have heard the sound of a crowd coming. And he must have wondered, What's going on? Maybe the little children were running in front of the crowd because sometimes that's what children do. And maybe they were crying out with shrill cries and then there were more people coming past, uh, talking excitedly as they accompanied Jesus. And just maybe somebody brushed up against Bartimaeus and I can just imagine him, though we're not told this, him reaching out and grabbing a robe and saying, what's going on, what's going on? And somebody pulling their robe away, saying, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Jesus, the one who heals the lame and the lepers and the blind. Some people are saying he's the Messiah and he's passing by. And Bartimaeus was listening to this. Now, this surely wasn't the first time he'd heard about Jesus. Everyone had been talking about Jesus' exploits and his teaching. And Bartimaeus had perhaps even heard Uh, somebody share how they had been healed or had witnessed somebody else being healed because Jesus' activities were the most talked about thing in Israel at that time. And Bartimaeus must have been doing a certain amount of thinking and now he made up his mind, "Could could this be the Messiah? Because nobody else goes around healing people the way he does. And his heart began to pound, and surely 
He was trembling. The sun was maybe rising in the sky and it was warm and the crowd was passing by and people were calling out to one another. And some folks were shouting out Hosanna, Hosanna from time to time. And Bartimaeus was jostled and Jesus was, would soon be gone. He would surely have to do something. So we read in verse 7, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I think he shouted as loud as he could. And maybe the crowd was so uh, thick and dense around him that he couldn't get him, he couldn't stand up. Perhaps he was just on the ground. But he was shouting because he wanted to make himself heard. And he shouted so loudly that he began to annoy the crowd. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But that just spurred him on and he shouted all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. I think he was desperate and he just kept shouting. Now, I think it's a really good thing for us to pause at this stage and to reflect on what was implicit in his cries. Well, I think there were a number of things. I think he cried because he was painfully aware of his condition. Now, he couldn't see. And he knew he couldn't see, but he didn't know what seeing was like. In other words, he knew that there was something out there that, that he didn't understand, and he wanted what he didn't have. And I just think that having heard about Jesus and who Jesus might be, he just wanted what he didn't have. The, this poor man, I think he was, he was desperate. He'd never seen the faces of those who loved him. He'd, he'd never seen a tree. He maybe had felt the trunk of a tree and branches and leaves, but he'd never seen one. He'd never seen a bird flying against the background of a blue sky. He'd never seen any of those things. There was an awful lot that he was aware that he didn't know. He wasn't sure what it was. He just knew that there was a lot that he didn't know. And I find that very interesting. I wonder, have you ever uh, come across a man called uh, Charles Coulson? Chuck Coulson, he, he worked for Richard Nixon. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. And if, if you remember the Watergate scandal, he actually ended up in jail. But the Lord came close to him and touched him. He wrote a wonderful book called Born Again. In fact, he started the, the prison ministry, which uh, is still going today. But he wrote a brilliant book of essays called Who Speaks for God? I don't know if you've ever uh, read it or come across it, but if you get a chance, do read it because it's very well worthwhile reading. But in that book, he makes reference to a television program called 60 Minutes. And 60 Minutes uh, was at least... Uh, a quite a well-known program on television in America. Uh, and the host was a guy called Mike Wallace. And the, 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 the episode that he refers to 
was an evening when Mike Wallace was interviewing a, a man who had survived Auschwitz, the, 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 the concentration camp, a man called Yehel Dinner. And this man, Yehel Dinner, became a principal witness at the Nuremberg trials after the Second World War about the persecution and liquidation of the Jews. Now, during, uh, yeah, no, he was, you can see his, in the picture there, his, uh, a concentration camp outfit that he, he would have worn. Now, hold that thought in mind. I, I go back to the last millennium, as some of you may do, and I remember uh, in 1960, the Israeli Secret Service uh, captured a man called Adolf Eichmann in Argentina. And they smuggled him out and they brought him back to uh, Israel. Now, there's a picture of Adolf Eichmann. He was kind of number two in what was known as the final solution, the, 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 the liquidation of the Jews. And, and he was a war criminal of a worse kind. And uh, they, had, they were delighted to get him and they got him and they brought him back to Israel where he was put on trial in the year 1961. And uh, during this interview, a clip from the trial was shown on, on this television program. And, and the clip showed uh, this man, Denur, the survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp, uh, in the court case because he was giving evidence against Eichmann. And as he was walking through a doorway, he came face to face with Eichmann as he was being brought in by the, the guards. And dinner just stopped cold. And he began to sob uncontrollably. And then he fainted. And the judge, of course, was pounding his gavel, calling for order. And Colson says in his essay... Was dinner overcome by hatred, by fear, by horrid memories? Colson asks those questions. And then he goes on to say, no, it was none of those. And he goes back to the interview that this uh, man, Mike Wallace, was having with dinner. Because dinner explained to Wallace that all at once he realized that Eichmann was not the godlike figure that he had thought of dressed in his uh, arm black uh, SS uniform. He wasn't this godlike figure who'd sent so many to, the, to their deaths, but Eichmann was just an ordinary man. And dinner goes on and he says, and I quote, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. Wallace's subsequent summation of Dinner's terrible discovery was this, that Eichmann is in all of us. And that's a horrifying statement. But it captures the essential truth of man's nature. Because as a result of the fall, sin lives in each of us. Not just the susceptibility to sin, the tendency to sin. But sin itself lives in each of us. And Coulson followed his penetrating observation with a question. Why is it that today we so seldom preach about the reality of sin? And the answer is, 
in Dinner's dramatic collapse. Because when he realized that the potential for that evil dwelt in him, he couldn't cope with it. Now, please understand that if you and I were at Calvary and the soldiers took Jesus, threw him down and placed the hammer in our hands, that you and I, we would have hammered those spikes in just as the Roman soldiers did. It's a devastating experience to face your sin. And yet, when we do face our sin, we experience grace. And that's why Christ came to reach out to us in grace. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that's to do with mourning about sin. It's not mourning for our parents or our grandparents. It's about mourning for sin. You see, when we truly know something of the darkness of our souls apart from God, when we understand that, we are compelled to turn to him in utter desperation for help, healing, and comfort. And blind Bartimaeus, he cried out, have mercy on me. And that came from a deep awareness that there was so much more out there that he didn't know. And that he wanted to see. He wanted to understand. So he was painfully aware of his condition. But the second thing we notice was that he had insight about Christ. He kept on repeating as he cried for help, Son of David, have mercy on me, Son of David. Well, that was a title that had been ascribed to the Messiah. Matthew's Gospel uses the title Son of David just twice. And this is the only place in Mark where we find the Lord being addressed by this title. Now, please understand that Bartimaeus, he was no theologian. He almost certainly was uneducated because he was a nobody. He, he, he had to beg for a living. He didn't count. People averted their eyes when they walked past him. He probably didn't understand the implications of what he was saying. He simply knew that he was in darkness and he needed to see, and there was more to be seen than he could imagine. But he believed that Jesus could help him and make a difference to his life. And then thirdly, we, we see that he was passionately persistent. He pursued this because he wanted this. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he wasn't listening to them. He wasn't heeding them. He shouted all the more, raising his voice, I guess, as loud as he possibly could. He wasn't put off by the crowd. Do you remember the words that the Lord said? In Mark 10, not very long before, he said, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
And a little bit like a child, he just kept repeating, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But he had a sense of urgency, a sense of urgency. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, we read in the Sermon on the Mount, these words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the intensity of this is difficult for us to grasp because if we're thirsty today, all we need to do is wander into the kitchen and go to the tap and turn it and get a glass of water. And if we have two glasses of water, nobody says anything to us. We can have three glasses of water as many times as we want. It's not a problem for us. It's easy. And if we're hungry, we can head to the fridge. But the ancient Palestinians were never far from the possibility of dehydration or starvation. And that's why Bartimaeus just kept shouting. And I find that challenges me. I, 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 I have to ask, am I hunger, hungry to know more than I know about God? And so I ask you, have you got that hunger as well? Are you hungry to know more than you know today about God? So that's Bartimaeus, and that brings us to think about Jesus. Well, wonderfully, it just says Jesus stopped. Call him. Now, we remember that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, 18 miles to travel to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem to the dreadful cross. And yet, amazingly, this beggar, who was kind of an outcast in society, uh, almost invisible. People didn't see him because he didn't really matter. He couldn't contribute very much. He was a beggar. But when he cried out, and I guess there were a lot of folks crying out, folks were shouting out Hosanna, but when he cried out for help, Jesus stopped. Isn't that interesting? Jesus stopped because this man mattered to God. And we read in the 49.50, so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Now throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I think that's lovely because being a blind man, if he misplaced his cloak, he might have a problem finding it again. But the fact that Jesus was calling him, his cloak didn't matter in those moments, he just up and went. And he didn't want his cloak to trip him up because he wanted to go to Jesus. How marvelous that was. In verse 51, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus made him articulate his desire. And Bartimaeus knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted to see. He wanted to experience that which was beyond his subjective reality. How marvelous that is, verse 52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now think how wonderful it must have been for him to see for the very first time. He saw the crowd, the sky, the clouds, but best of all, right in front of him, he saw the face of Jesus. And knowing Jesus as Savior is truly wonderful. And when you and I awake from the dream that men call life. And when the scales of time have fallen from our eyes and we find ourselves with new bodies uh, dressed in robes of righteousness, we shall find ourselves looking 
into the face of Jesus. Because the scripture says in glory, he will wipe away every tear. So there are tears in heaven. I'm not sure what those tears are, but they're wiped away. Now, I don't know about you, but when my boys were small and they fell over and bumped their knees and skinned them or something, they would, they would come with tears. And because eyes are so delicate, I would sit them on my knee and I would with very gently wipe the tears away. And when you've got tears in your eyes, you can't see. But when the tears are wiped away, you can see. So we have this wonderful prospect of being close to Jesus. When the tears are wiped away, the very first thing we will see is the face of the Savior. Isn't that just wonderful to think about? And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Well, actually, it was the Lord who'd healed him. Isn't that right? Now, tradition tells us that Bartimaeus became a spiritual stalwart of the church in Jerusalem. You see, he followed Jesus along the road. Isn't that lovely? He followed Jesus. He didn't want to be separated from Jesus. Well, okay, so we ask ourselves the question. That's wonderful. But what are we to learn from all of this passage? Well, I, I think that this passage is, is telling us that we need to encourage people uh, to call to Jesus to encourage people to call to Jesus because there is something that is beyond the subjective experience of all of us. I have a friend, I go fishing with him, and he believes in all sorts of strange things, something called uh, the infinite reality. And um, he, he says, he explains it like this, if, you're, if you have a dream and you wake up from a dream, how do you know that you're awake and not in the middle of another dream? And it's kind of bizarre, but you know, there is something beyond our subjective reality. And if we want to know what it is, we have to go to Jesus. And that's our job, to encourage people to come to Jesus. And we're to be like the crowd. The crowd uh, uh, called him, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. So we have something to share that's wonderful. And we're not to be like those Christians who sometimes go to church. Maybe you heard of the guy who had awful problems in his life. He thought, well, maybe in desperation, I'll go to church and I'll see what happens. So he's a bit unsure because church was something beyond his experience. And he stood outside, and he watched all the folks going in and he couldn't quite get up enough enthusiasm to go into church. And he, he, then he, he was there when they were coming out again. And he thought, well, I better not go to church because otherwise I'll come out as miserable as they are you know cheer up we have a savior one who's taken our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west and it is our privilege to reach out and to encourage other people to come to jericho or to come to jesus and the extraordinary thing is that jesus never went that way again that was the last opportunity had bartimaeus not responded he would never have had another opportunity. But what a picture we have of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, he is alive today and doing in far more exalted fashion the things that he did while he was here on earth. And now he's in heaven and he's constantly hearing the praise of his people that are ascending. And yet 
when he hears somebody cry out, have mercy on me. Amidst all the other cries that are ascending to heaven, he hears that. Because as he was going along and everybody was shouting, he heard blind Bartimaeus and he stopped. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we cry out today, he stops. He stops and he calls us to come to him. <laughs> what a difference he makes. Because he opens our eyes and we begin to see spiritual realities that we can't see anywhere else. And we begin to understand that the sin in our hearts is the sin for which he died on the cross. And how wonderful it is to know that he forgives us. Oh, my prayer is that if you don't know that for yourself today, that you might be like Bartimaeus and just cry out to Jesus for mercy. And if you do, you'll discover, like many of us have, that that's exactly what you receive. And you'll begin to see. Some people want to understand in order to believe. It doesn't work like that. We have to believe in order to understand. And as we understand, oh my, we fall in love with Jesus. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How good you will never know until you taste. Call out to him today. Let me pray. Father, we do want to say thank you so much for all the love that you pour out upon us. We thank you for the marvelous truth of this wonderful miracle that you reached out to that man when he gave expression of his need of you and how you turned his life around and how wonderful it was that as you continued on your way to Jerusalem, Bartimaeus followed you because he became a follower of Jesus. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us each one that as we follow the best way we can, that we might be pleasing to you as we bring our worship. But if there is somebody, O oh Lord, and they've never come to know you, we pray that this morning might be the day that they call out, the day when Jesus stops, the, the day when they come to know him. We ask these things, Father, in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.